I hope you can understand why I wanted Tamur to share a bit with us this morning as he uh, has come. One thing he didn't explicitly mention, but I will explicitly mention it, because we're coming into the Lottie Moon Christmas time for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions, and that is that his parents, who are his adopted parents now, are uh, missionaries of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. And they're the ones who went there to help with the orphanage and who met Timur, had him in their home for a summer, and then uh, adopted him into their family. And uh, it's just a great story. A lot of times, you know, we give to Lottie Moon Christmas offering, we give to our, our regular offerings church, of which 10% goes to the cooperative program, and we, we think, well, we never see uh, the results of that. Well, you've seen the results of it this morning, just how God works, just one small way, and that's magnified hundreds of thousands of times across this world. And so, uh, Tamura, you were our Lottie Moon speaker today and didn't even know it. I didn't even know it, but it just really reminds me of how good God's grace is. And I appreciate him sharing that with us. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to the book of Matthew. That sounds really strange to say this morning because we're always saying turn to the book of John. But this morning, the Gospel of Matthew. And I want us to think just a few moments about uh, Jesus' statement here and Peter's statement here. Uh, and then we will probably also look at another passage or two. This is not the normal expository uh, approach that we take, but it is a special day. It's hard for me to stand here and really believe that it has been six years uh, since we constituted. Six years and a month or so since we first met on that cold, dark uh, Sunday night on October 22nd with no heat and no lights in an unfinished building at 120 Losey Street. I'll never forget standing there that night after having spent all afternoon loading up my study and with about 20 other men packing it up and, and moving it out uh, uh, and, and coming together that night, tired, exhausted, wondering if 20 people might be there or 50 people or could God even bless with 100 people and then walking in that place and seeing 250 people gathered with one idea, one thing in mind and that was let's worship and let's move forward for the glory of God. It was the most phenomenal night I've ever been a part of. We had to put little electric heaters out that did no good whatsoever. Uh, it, it, it was just for psychological support, I suppose. We had candles everywhere. We had one light that we ran a, a long extension cord to another part of the building that had electricity. The room didn't have electricity. And we had one spotlight kind of spotted on the pulpit, you know, and, and, and we had a, a few little amplifiers plugged into a, a microphone and, and running out of the other building. And we worshiped that night. And one of the verses we looked at was Acts chapter 2, which we will get to in a moment, uh, just kind of to, to tie things up together. Uh, tonight, or this afternoon when you leave, or maybe it'll still be this morning when you leave, but when you leave after the service, uh, as you go out, the ushers have something for you. Some of you have participated in this. They have a booklet that is entitled Stones of Remembrance. Many of you remember that a year or so ago, I asked you if you would be willing, and many of you did. All of you didn't, and that's okay. You'll wish you had after you get this, but, and if you want to, we'll do a supplement later on. But uh, many of you wrote a, what I called a stone remembrance based on Joshua 4, 6, where Joshua said to the, to the children of Israel, after they crossed the Jordan River, 
after they entered into the promised land, he said, now go back into the river and uh, ahead of each tribe, pick up a stone and bring it out and build a memorial on this side. And in future years, when your children say, what mean these stones or what do these stones mean? You'll be able to tell them those stones are there as a remembrance of all that God did for us in bringing us out of slavery through the wilderness and into the promised land that he had promised to us. And so they had those stones of remembrance. And so what I wanted is some stones of remembrance. Uh, some of these in here are very like, more like pebbles. Okay, They're short, they're concise, they're, they're to the point. There's two or three in here that are boulders. They're really big stones. But they all come together to help us to remember. This is really a history of Grace Baptist Church by those who were there that night and by those who, many who have joined with us since then, just sharing. So there's one of these for every family. Please get one. You'll, find, you'll enjoy reading it. I took this to Dallas a few weeks ago to work on it, uh, and I had sort of a rough copy that I printed out to take with me, and, and I, I shared this Wednesday night. I, I laid it on the dresser, and I went to do something away from the room, and Jeff was in the room, and when he came back, he was sitting over the corner, and he had the stones of remembrance open, and he was sitting there reading them, and tears were running down his face as he just reflected on the goodness and the grace of God on that day and on that night. So I, I hope you'll pick one up. I hope you'll read it. Um, some of it is very very direct in some things, and that's okay. But it's, it, it's all to the glory of God. And if you're here, our guest, I invite you to have one uh, and, and just find out a little bit more about where we came from and what we're all about. Those stones are there for you to read and for you to be able to be reminded and remind others what, what Grace Baptist Church is all about. Hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 20. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? In other words, who do people say I am? And they said to him, some say you're John the Baptist and others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, Simon son of John, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. In reality, this is one of the most controversial passages in all the New Testament because it's interpreted in several different lights by different groups. One particular group, the Roman Catholics, interpret this as Peter being that rock. That Jesus said, Peter, your, your confession is so great and so grand, and you have seen it so greatly that I'm going to build my church upon you. But I want you to understand that when Jesus looks at Peter and, and commends him for what he says, he says, but Peter, I want you to understand, flesh and blood, your intellect, your emotions, your own body did not reveal this to you. You didn't figure this out yourself. 
But my Father who is in heaven has revealed it to you. It's not Peter that is important here. It's the truth that by God's grace, Peter announces. And so I think the real test or the real truth of interpretation of this passage rests not in building the church upon Peter as a first pope, as one who will serve as the the rock or the model of the church, but it's upon that confession that Jesus makes. When everybody else is wondering, when everybody else is saying, oh, he's a prophet, he's a great teacher, he's one who who really ought to be listened to because of, of those kind of things, and he looks at them and he says, okay, all of that is fine and well, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, bold, bodacious Peter, he says, I want you to know you are the Christ the Son of the living God. You are the anointed one. You are the promised one. You are the Messiah. You're the one that, that is, as Tamur mentioned earlier, the Old Testament was already showing forth in a very revealed, uh, a very concealed sort of way that would ultimately be revealed in, in, the, in the incarnation. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the one we've looked for and the prophets and Moses have promised for all of these years. And Peter, I want you to know that God revealed that to you. You didn't figure it out. And upon this confession, upon this truth, I will build my church. I want you to notice Jesus will build his church. I titled the sermon, you know, the, the church, when, when Christ builds his church. We, we spent 2,000 years, two millenniums, sometimes trying too hard to build a church. We've tried to build it. We've tried to make it what we want it to be. And and because of that, you've got every sort of flavor out there that you can imagine that calls itself a church. Last week, somebody brought me an ad out of the Lexington paper. And and in this ad, it was a, a big ad about a church, not here in Somerset, but in a in a very close proximity to here. And they were having a big announcement that on, um, I think it's February the something, or maybe it's January, they're having a, a Las Vegas night with friends. It was a fundraiser. And they said gaming will begin and, and go from 6 till midnight. And, and we'll have roulette and blackjack and and craps and Texas Hold'em and all, the, all these names of, of different gaming, gambling games. And it says at 8 o'clock, the Las Vegas show will begin featuring Donnie Osmond. And, and this is a church doing what the world does best, but not what the church is called to do. Jesus said, it's upon this confession that I will build my church. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the way, the truth, and the life. You are what matters. You are the great I am that the choir sang about this morning. You are the one who has come down out of heaven, perfect God, holy God, taken on flesh, and now is God-man dwelling among us. You are the one who is going to take away the sin of the world. You are the one who is going to bring new life to those who believe. You are the one who has been promised for generation after generation, and we believe that you are him. In our generation, if you look around, 
You can go into church after church after church and many times not even hear the name Jesus mentioned. That's, that's tragic. That's why that, that six years ago when we formulated and we came together by God's grace and, and we believe in obedience to God, we made several commitments. One is that what we do in this building will be only to His glory. It'll be worship. Worship and the Word is what will take place in here. Not a lot of, not a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of uh, recognition, not a lot of saying, oh, good job, well done, you're a good person. It's just glorifying God, exalting the cross of Jesus Christ. And as that song we sang this morning said, I will boast only in Him and in His cross. We, we, we made the commitment that we were going to be simple church. You've heard that banded around and we... Still want to bant that around a bit because, quite honestly, I'll be honest, you know, just to be truthful here, uh, since moving to, to Oak Leaf Lane, it's kind of become a little more difficult to be simple church. You know, we're, uh, when, we, when we met in what was basically a warehouse, it was, and when we had to go for our adult classes up and down Bogle Street in doctor's office waiting rooms and and when we had the children meeting in rooms not a whole lot bigger than this pulpit up in the, the other side of the sanctuary building, I mean, it was, it, was, it was easy to say, hey, we're just simple church. But you know, I still want to be simple church. Because simple church focuses on that one thing. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Not to us, O oh Lord. Not to us, but to your name, be all the glory. Lord, make us a simple body of believers who, who don't look out for what we can get or what we can, how we can feel unless it's feeling your presence and walking in your presence. Out of that, out of that simple church concept, we, we kind of built three ideas, or we probably stole these somewhere, but that's okay, borrowed them. And that is, it'd be three, three elements of this simple church concept. It's on your bulletin every Sunday. I don't know if you ever read it or not. It's on your bulletin today, uh, right under all the announcements, this week at a glance. Down at the very bottom, it says, our purpose. Our purpose is loving God, loving one another, and reaching the world. Loving God, we want to guide believers to grow in their love of God. We want to help you see God in all His glory and love Him all the more. We want to do that in the Sunday school classes. We want to do that in Bible conferences. We want to do that when we meet for worship in here. We want to say, listen, it, it, this is what really matters. Until you love God with all your heart, soul, and, and, and strength. Uh, until you really love Christ above all the other idols that demand our attention in our world today, until you really fall in love with Christ and fall in love with God, you might as well forget loving one another. You might as well, other than those who are just like you, you might as well forget loving and, and reaching the world with the gospel. Loving God. Loving God with all your heart, your soul, your strength your might, your intellect, your emotions, your being, your life, loving God. That's why we move through the Scriptures expositorily, because we believe there's, a, there, there's not just a story there, but there's, a, there's truth there that builds our lives and strengthens us to see Him all the more glorious. Two weeks ago, uh, the last time we were in John, 
Uh, we were in John, the last part of chapter 6, we saw a similar confession of Peter. If you remember, when, when Jesus turned around, all these, all these superfluous disciples that had been following, all these just kind of, you know, liked the food and they liked the, the miracles and they thought it was fun and games. And, and Jesus turned around to the, the 12 that were with him and said, well, now, are, are you two going to leave me? And Peter's confession there, different from this confession, a different place altogether, but Peter's confession there was, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom shall we go? You're, you're the one who has the words of life. Who do we go to? Where do we go? You're our hope. You're our strength. You're our life. To whom shall we go? We carefully chose the songs to sing today. Amazing grace, my chains are gone. We sang that that night on, on October the 22nd together. And we wept as we sang it. But we recognized that it was His grace that was doing and bringing us together. All I have is Christ. Because we have to come to that place in loving God to say, you know, the stock market may crash tomorrow. I may lose my job tomorrow. This country is in a mess, to say the least. And, and, and we are now a nation that has, has clearly gone on record as saying we support death and killing of babies. We support the destruction of marriage from God's perspective. We support much that God stands against. We're on record as saying that, folks. If we don't come to realize that all we have is Christ... That there's no human Messiah, there's no politician, there's no Supreme Court, there's no government that can save us. All I have is Christ. But that's all I need. That's all I need. All I have is Christ. Loving God, seeing Him as all I have. And, and we sang that great hymn to begin with. I requested that. Great is thy faithfulness. Lord, unto me. There's one thing we've seen in six years. He's a faithful God. Just in being here. I mean, just in, in his provision. And, and listen, if you're new here or you're a guest here, and, and I know you don't know the story. I don't have time to recount it this morning. But, but let, me, let me have a chance to tell you about God's provision of this facility. It was not man's doing. It was God's doing. That we can even be here. We ought to be over there on Losey Street for at least another 10 years. If we're going to do it. But we trusted him to do it. And great is his faithfulness. Loving God. Loving one another. Loving one another. Jesus said, it's by this that all men will know that you're my disciples. If you have love one for another. I, I appreciated last night at the, at the D-Now service that that uh, Clay uh, dealt with that a bit. It's not about, it's not about this, uh, you know, this kind of general, oh, I love everybody. No, it's loving your brothers and sisters in Christ in a unique and a special way whereby the world looks at it and says, I don't understand that. Like Tamur talked about going back to one who had shared the gospel with him, whom he had persecuted and whom he had, he had ridiculed and, and even physically harmed and saying, will you forgive me? I'm your brother in Christ. I love you. Seeing that forgiveness. By this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. It's, it's not the 
It's not the bumper stickers. It's not the crosses around your neck. It's the love that you have for his body. The love that you have for his people. And we're to love the world in the sense of taking the gospel to them. That'll come next. But, but the, the primary love is that we love God first. Then we love one another. And that means more than just saying, hey, I love you. That means knowing something about one another. That means knowing where we're hurting and caring for one another and ministering to one another. I, I've said it before. Real love is, is not saying it. Real love is, is showing it. Real love is living it. Real love is ne- seeing a brother or sister grieving and, and grieving with them or laughing and laughing with them or seeing them with a need and having the ability to meet that need and meeting that need with them and for them as God directs. That's real love. We love one another. I love one another. We want to just guide you to love God. We want to guide you to, to love other believers. And to care for one another. And then the third part of that purpose, part of that simple church is, is reaching the world. To guide believers to reach out to the world with the truth of the gospel. Starting here in Somerset. With your neighbors. With, with, with your relatives, with, with those who are the hardest to share the gospel with. You know, it's easy to get on an airplane and go to Peru. And we do that. Uh, and, and some of you may challenge the concept that that's easy uh, if you spend a week in the Chancay River Valley. But it's, it's, it's a little tough in some ways. But that's easy. You can go in there and you can tell those people about the gospel. You can tell them about how much Jesus loves them. You can tell them how much Jesus has done for your life. And and then they won't see you at least for another year, probably. Unless you go on multiple teams. That's easy. It's harder to tell someone that knows you and knows you well that Jesus is all you need. And and Jesus is all you want. And Jesus is everything to you. Jesus has changed your life. Jesus has made you a new creature. Because they see you. They know what's important in your life. But Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, upon that rock, I will build my church. One other, one other passage. Just one other. I've got five others, but we'll just do one other. Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me. This plays right into that statement. This, this is right after Pentecost. You remember Pentecost. Peter stands up and he preaches that sermon on that day and he, he quotes the Old Testament and, and he, he says, you've, you've killed him. You've killed the Lord of glory. He declared to them the truth of the gospel. You remember that? He said, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you. By God, with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for him to be held by its power. 
Then he quotes David, and then 3,000 people are saved, 3,000 people are baptized, the church begins to explode, and then they start meeting in homes. They go to the synagogue, typically, and they, they listen and they share with people what God has done in their life. You find Peter, I mean, Paul, still going to synagogues to proclaim the gospel. But I want you to hear what happened after all that happened. Down in verse 40 of chapter 2, and, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. That's a cry we need to be making today because we live in a perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. Now listen at verse 42. It's what, it's what Luke does many times in writing Acts. It's, it's sort of a summary verse. It's a, it's a transitional verse. And he says, And they, that is those 3,000 that were saved, along with the apostles, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Four things they were doing continually. And they were devoting themselves to it. You know what that word devoting means? It means they were committed to it above everything else. It means they did it no matter what else called for their attention. They were devoted to this. They were committed to this. He says they were continually devoting themselves first to the apostles' teaching. Now, we don't have any apostles around anymore. Uh, They died off. Uh, I know you'll hear people call themselves apostles, but if you read the text, what apostle, what the requirements of apostle are, they, they saw the ministry of the Lord, they, they saw the resurrection with their own eyes, they were present there, there are no more apostles around, I'm sorry. But we do have the apostles' teaching in this, in this book. We have what they taught. We, we have what, by the Holy Spirit, they have given us to understand. And, 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 and we ought to be in the same way that they were listening to John and Peter and, and Paul and, and Matthew and all the others, as they were hanging on every word of what they said verbally to them, we ought to be hanging on every word of what their teaching is today through our understanding of the Word, our study of the Word, our being absorbed in the Word. They continually devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, to fellowship. Now, I know we think of fellowship as as just food. Tonight, we're going to have fellowship with our soup and sandwich banquet. Do it every year, and it will be great fellowship. But let me tell you something. We're not coming to eat the soup and the sandwiches. We're coming to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ and His goodness and His grace and His provision. I hope somebody would say amen to that. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, our, our, our centrality, our shared thing, which koinonia means something shared in common, a treasure shared in common. Our treasure is not baked potato soup or vegetable soup or a pimento cheese sandwich, although I love those things. Our shared treasure is Jesus Christ. We're coming together tonight, and we'll eat, and we'll share that. We're coming together because of Christ. Christ alone. In Christ alone, which by the way, we will sing in a moment. He's our hope. He's our rock. 
He's the, he's the focus of our fellowship. Breaking of bread, that's the Lord's table. That's, that's uh, observing the Lord's table, communion together. We do that once a month here. We come to this table. We observe the Lord's Supper. But, but that is beyond just breaking of the bread in the actual supper. It's worshiping together. And again, that's, why, that's what we want to do in here. We want to just worship and rejoice in His grace and His goodness. And finally, to prayer. You know, nothing got us through six years ago like prayer did. We prayed together in small groups. We prayed together in large groups. We we were on our faces before God. We were begging God and pleading with God for His provision, and He was faithful. I'm worried just a little bit. I don't know worry's a sin. So I'm confessing that right now. Maybe the word I should use is just I'm concerned a little bit. We're not spending the time in prayer that we spent six years ago. That maybe we've kind of subconsciously think now we, we've got it together. There's not the animosity there's not the struggle there's not the lies there's not the deception there's not the attacks and so we think well it's all gone we've got it we we're we've arrived uh, mr moore said he thought he got to american thought he arrived in heaven we sometimes think like we've got to heaven because we've got to grace folks this could all fall apart tomorrow except by his grace that's why we need to be on our faces before God continuously. That's why we need to be gathering. And, and you say, well, I pray. I pray at home. I pray at mealtimes. I, you know, I, I, I say prayers. Yeah, I know. But I mean fervent, committed prayers with brothers and sisters. You know, one of the things we built in this complex is, is a prayer room. That you can get into 24-7. The whole building's alarmed except that room. And it's secure, but it's not alarmed. You can get a code by calling the church office. You can go in and out of there. You can pray. You can meet friends there. You can pray. And, I'm, and, and in the coming months, you're going to see an emphasis on that and hopefully even a, a sign-up for people just to continuously be back there praying, meeting one another, coming and going, because they're here praying for our church, for the gospel in our city, and for our nation, for the gospel to be spread abroad in our nation. We send teams to Peru. We've got to send teams to America. Never has our country needed the gospel like they do now. We get mad and people say, well, we're not a Christian nation. Folks, if we're a Christian nation, we wouldn't be killing one and a half to two million babies every year. If we were a Christian nation, we wouldn't be saying, we will define what marriage is. We don't care what God says it is. If, if we were a Christian nation, we wouldn't be doing a multitude of things that we're doing. But let me tell you something. It's not about the nation. It's about His church in the nation. It's about us being Christ's disciples, 
Christ's messengers, Christ's ambassadors to this nation. And, and, and we won't be well received. Later we'll get in John's gospel to John 15. Now i got to tell you, Jesus doesn't paint a very pretty picture of true believers. He says, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. If they listen to me, they'll listen to you. But other than that, they're not going to listen. Folks, we live in a day where we as believers should be together on our faces pleading for God's grace to be spread abroad in this nation. We're quick to sing, God bless America. And I almost think God's looking down when we sing that song and saying, Are you kidding me? Are you joking? There's never been a nation blessed. Even ancient Israel was not blessed with, the, with what we have. Are you kidding me? I've blessed you and you've taken your blessings and you've turned them into idols. And we go back to that passage in 2 Chronicles. If my people, who are called by my name, not if the people outside the church, not if the world will repent, but if my people, who are called by my name, believers, Christians, will humble themselves and pray, and repent, turn from their wicked ways, turn from their idols, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. You see, healing of this land is not dependent on who's in the White House. Healing of this land is not dependent on who sits in Congress or on the bench of the Supreme Court. They're part of the problem. The healing of this land begins with churches like Grace Baptist Church, members of Grace Baptist Church, saying, Lord, here am I. Send me. That's what Isaiah said. Remember the vision? Isaiah chapter 6. Every week we want to, we, we, in our worship, as I said, we, we want to lift your vision of God. We want to lift your, how you see Him and, and, and bow before Him. And, and when Isaiah saw that, he was fearful. He fell on his face because he was a sinner like you are, like I am. And finally, the Lord, after cleansing his lips from a, from a coal from the altar, and, and our altar is not here our altar is Christ Jesus at the cross. And, and if you've been cleansed by his work at the cross, it's the same as the analogy of, of Isaiah's lips being cleansed by the coal from the altar, by the angel with the tongues. Once Isaiah had been cleansed, once Isaiah had been made new, forgiven, God said, who shall we send and who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Lord, here am I. Send me. Here am I. You've done a work of grace in my life. I have repented before you. I have been cleansed. I'm your messenger. 
not in my own strength, but by your grace. Hear my Lord, send me to Somerset. Send me to those high schools, those college campuses. Send me to those places of work where I go every day. Send me, Lord, as your ambassador. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your work of grace that brought about Grace Baptist Church. I thank you, Lord, that our foundation is Christ and Christ alone. And Father, it's not because we figured it out. It's because you opened our eyes, just as you did Peter. You touched our lives. You touched our hearts. Father, guard our hearts from complacency, from idolatry, from Americanism, and keep our hearts fixed on the gospel. Father, we thank you for what you have done in these past six years. But Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in the next years, however it is, long, until you come again. May we be found faithful to worshiping you, sharing the gospel. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.